It's our privilege to share the Lord's table together this morning. The invitation to come to the table is for those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus for their salvation. For those who come this morning weak and wounded from life and need nourishment, strength, and restoration. Um, The invitation is to come and experience spiritually nothing less than Christ himself who feeds us. He offers himself freely to us for your and my spiritual nourishment. But before we go there, it's my responsibility to remind us through God's word why we so desperately need Jesus in the first place. You and I uh, continually, regularly forget that we need Christ, and we need to be reminded. And that's why he gave us the table. That's why he gave us his word. We've been in, uh, if you've been following us, we've been in a series in Romans, uh, and this morning has us finishing chapter 4, if you want to start turning there now. Um, this whole chapter has been addressing this truth, and the truth is this, that the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. We learned earlier in chapter 3 that what you and I are owed, we mentioned wages last week, what you and I are owed uh, for the sin that we have taken part in um, and, and committed ourselves is death. But the free gift, even as we looked at Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9 as our assurance this morning, the free gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ. It's an act of mercy. It's an act of his grace. Uh, and if you've been following along in, in Paul's letter to the Roman church, it's, it's something difficult for these Jewish Christians who had spent a lifetime pursuing God and uh, trying to get his attention and trying to keep his attention. Um, and even in our text today, first by good works, verses 3 through 8, through circumcision or, or, or by birthright, verses 9 through 12, and finally by keeping the law, verses 13 through 16. Um, I listened to a sermon this past week that was shared uh, by a new friend of mine that I've met, and we're discussing the things of Christ and the gospel, and um, this person sent this message to me and said, hey, here's something that I listened to and really got a lot out of that I'd love to know your feedback on it. So I listened to the message, and he wasn't preaching on this text, but I couldn't help but see the problem that we see from these Jewish believers in our text this morning. Um, the evidence of our self-promotion, trying to keep and trying to get and keep God's attention, um, could could be referenced in a thirty-five minute message. That in nowhere in that message is the name of Jesus mentioned, not once, not even a hint of Jesus's work on our behalf. In thirty-five minutes of pouring out. Uh, good works and, 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 and ways to be a better you and, and different things like that. Um, it just brings to mind many claim to know the way. Many claim to teach you how to, uh, it, it, how to have healing, health, internal peace and wholeness. Some actually appear to work for a while, but only one offers hope beyond the grave. There's only one who gives life to dead 
and cause into existence the things that do not exist. That's in our text this morning. So today we're looking at verses 13 through 25 of Romans 4. I invite you to turn there if you have a Bible, uh, or if you have a Bible app. If you don't, we're going to have it on the screen for you, I think. Um, If you just want to read it silently with me as I read it aloud, and if you are able this morning, I would love for you to stand with me in honor of God's word, uh, his holy, inerrant, infallible word to us, uh, the bride of Christ, his church, as I read from Romans 4, verses 13 through 25 for us this morning. For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs of faith, uh, or to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made the father, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to, to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith he didn't, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Saren's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the, word, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. You can take your seats and pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning that, that it is a sure and steady anchor this word that you have given to us. And although we would love to speak a better word, we would love to think it is enough, it is sufficient for life, for godliness. You speak through it to us, to our culture as you did in Abraham's culture. And so, Father, we we rest in it. Father, speak through it now. Bless the one who speaks. His sins are many. Father, you have... uh, Purchase for him righteousness as you have us all through the person of Christ. And it's in him that we look this morning uh, and fix our eyes and our gaze. Speak to us, Father, your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I said this last week, but this section, we've really broken into two sermons, but it's really one thought to the Roman church. The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You see this kind of main idea in Romans 3. 22, which is the, uh, the beginning of this thought. Um, you know what's popular these days in a good movie series? I mean, all of Star Trek, Marvel, DC Comics. Now I'm giving away my personal movie bent. Um, but the thing that's popular now is the origin story, right? 
So you get wrapped up in a story, you get to fall in love with all the characters, and you kind of get some resolution as to how the series ends. But then it gets you asking this question, well, how did it all begin? What was, what was Obi-Wan Kenobi like before he went running around all over the galaxy? What was, uh, what was Captain America like? How did he become Captain America? Um, I apologize if you're not into science fiction or uh, superhero movies. Um, but I would have mentioned The Notebook, but there's no origin story on The Notebook. Uh, there's no origin story on Still Magnolias or any of the other good movies that are out there. Um, Paul in chapter 4 is attempting to bring the heavy hitters in support of a message that he's bringing to Jewish believers that find themselves a part of the Roman church. And he's going all the way back to the origins of Israel to try to help them understand the message by bringing up someone that's very important to them, the person of Abraham, the legendary, revered, biologic, biological father of Israel is brought into uh, the picture in chapter 4. And if you weren't with us last week, Paul kind of dropped a bomb on them by sharing this idea of how they are saved through faith isn't a new idea that just came on the scene when Jesus comes to dwell among them. It has forever only been God's plan of redemption for his children going all the way back to the beginning. Now, while you and I were taught to look back at the work of Christ, like we're doing today, even as we take this table, Old Testament saints like Abraham look forward and they believed that Jesus would come. And Abraham was credited. We talked about that term credit, goods or services rendered now in trust a future payment. We looked at a verse in Hebrews 11 referring to these Old Testament saints. These all died not having received the things promised. They were waiting. They died in faith, believing that the one who was promised would come and do all he said he would do, purchasing their salvation. The other thing Paul mentions to these Jewish brothers, who, if you remember, are having a hard time with the idea of a Greek believer that can merely trust God and trust in Christ and be welcomed into the family. To be welcomed into a family without circumcision, without any history or, or lineage of keeping the law, no prior uh, pedigree, they're having trouble with this. That's great news for us, who most of us, I'm pretty sure, are not Jewish. So it's good news for us. And if they understood just how high and how deep the love of God is and the benefit for them of taking a kind of more is merrier approach and attitude. But you and I, we understand this. We don't like to share stuff. You and I don't like to share things uh, that, that we find precious to us. Now, you may pat yourself on the back this week as you gave away the last gobstopper in your Halloween candy, and you thought, I really wanted that, and it may be a whole another solid year before I find a gobstopper, but I'm going to give it to you, son, because you're important to me. You may find yourself patting your back on, on sacrificial things like that, but if your son comes to you one day or your daughter comes to you and say, uh, Mom, Dad, I want to serve in the military. I want to serve in the Peace Corps. 
I want to serve missionaries in, in Hindu-led India and start a school. We're going to be having words with our Father in heaven that he would ask such a sacrifice of us. We get it. Jesus has come into our lives, and he does not stop touching the things that we value in. If anyone can have God, then it's no longer exclusive. If they don't have to get circumcised, then why did we go through that? If they don't have to uh, obey the law to keep and get his attention, then what have we been wasting our life doing? They're legitimate questions for us who struggle. This world has changed so much for them. They're so concerned, counting their losses, that they can't see the all that they've gained in Christ. In verses 13 of 16 in our text, Paul goes back to the law. We talked about it at the end of chapter 3 as well on boasting. In verses 13 through 16, it says, For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, Faith is null, and the promise is void. In other words, you can't have it both ways. You can't have some come to, come to know the Lord and be in right relationship with him through the law and others through faith. If we're to come to know the Lord through the law, it nullifies faith as well as the promise. Because the promise to Abraham was always a promise in faith. Verse 15, for the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. I know this verse sounds confusing. If you were to just read this verse, it might, you might think he's saying that the law brings with it God's wrath. And if there isn't a law, then there's nothing to break. Therefore, no transgression. Let's just say this. Paul can't be saying those without the law can't be held liable. That can't be what he's saying here for two reasons. First, it contradicts everything he's already said in chapters 1 through 3 of Romans. Totally contradicts what he's already said. Secondly, if the wrath of God is carried with the knowledge that comes through the law of God, then the most heartless, unloving thing that you could ever do is share the gospel. The most hateful thing that you could do to anyone is to bring to them a knowledge of their sin, therefore making them liable. As parents, the worst thing we could possibly do is bring our kids to church. We should be running from this place. We should be running it from anyone who would speak the word of God or the law. That can't be what Paul is saying. Imagine you walk into a store and you just start grabbing stuff. And you just fill your basket and you start going right out the door. A store clerk or someone or security is probably going to stop you at some point, hopefully, and say, what are you doing? Well, I didn't see a sign that said no stealing. So I just, you know, 
Romans 1 teaches us that sufficient knowledge of right and wrong is written on our hearts. You may not know the fullest extent of it all, but you know enough. What Paul is saying to these Jewish brothers who are thinking they've wasted their life with the law is this. The law brought you closer to God. It brought you closer to an understanding of who this God is and what he wants of you. The law led you to the conclusion that you couldn't keep it. And because you couldn't keep it, in fact, you had failed to keep it, in, in, in fact, you had broken it, that you were underneath the wrath of, wrath of God and you needed a Savior. That's what the law did. He's reminding them of that fact. That yes, you've lost and things are changing and God's touching your stuff, but look what the law brought you to, this realization of your need for Christ, a hidden mercy. Notice Paul uses the word transgression here instead of sin. That's not by accident. A sin is a general term of missing the target. A transgression is missing the target by flying over it, by going beyond what is prescribed. So all transgression is sin, but not all sin is a transgression. So Paul is reminding these Jewish believers that the law was a kindness. The law was meant to give them boundaries. Look at verse 16. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. In other words, your promised inheritance depends on faith in Christ, because if it depended on the law, you wouldn't have it. You wouldn't have this promised inheritance if it depended on your work and your obedience to the law because you haven't been obedient. It depends on faith that comes through Christ so that it rests on grace, not on our works. And God himself can personally guarantee it. I fixed a TV this week. Don't start calling me a TV repairman. But I fixed a TV this week. We had our TV go out. have no idea what happened to it. It just stopped working. All my kids are like, TV's broken. And I'm like, okay, I guess we need a new TV. So I go and buy a new TV, play, replace it, and that TV's just sitting by the trash can. I'm thinking, I can fix this. And so I go on where everybody goes to learn how to be a TV repair guy. YouTube. Find, find the model number. Find this common problem. Buy the part. Open that joker up, put the replacement parts in, seal it up with the help of some kids, fire that puppy up, and boom, I'm a TV repair guy. Now, Vizio would be a terrible, terrible company if they came along and tried to guarantee that TV. I don't know that I fixed the TV. It turns on, but I don't even know what was wrong with it. So I really don't know if I fixed it. It's working now, but I don't know for how long. I don't know if I just made it temporary fix, put a Band-Aid on it. I could have made a bomb. I really don't know. I just don't know enough about TV repair. They would be foolish to guarantee something like that. But thanks be to God, who took your salvation out of your hands 
and put it in his own. And he guarantees it now for life. You didn't save yourself. That may be a hard pill for you to swallow. But maybe the hard pill is because there's part of you that's still convinced that you didn't get yourself in the mess in the first place. And you haven't adequately sat in the, the blame and the guilt of that moment of saying, you know what, I really did break the law. I really am deserving of everything that I get. God is just and he's good for not letting a sinner like me in because I didn't keep the law. I didn't trust him. I wanted to be king. I let an assault on the throne of God and I lost. I came up short in wanting and I find myself in a place of destitution and need. And it's in that moment, it's in that moment that we understand Christ the most. As we understand our salvation, it's in that moment that we're grateful that salvation was taken out of our hands and put in the hands of the one who could not only accomplish the work, but he did it lovingly. He did it gracefully. He did it mercifully. He pursues us even when we find ourselves still placing blame. Adam blamed Eve. Then he blamed God. It was the woman that you gave me. In the first two seconds that sin entered the world, it's hereditary. We get it. We understand. We all want to believe that we know the way, that we can somehow heal ourselves, that we can find eternal peace and wholeness somewhere locked within, and we can just unlock it. Some of the ideas that come up with that we read articles on or books or whatever um, may work for a while, but they don't offer any hope beyond the grave, which is certain for us all. There's only one who gives life to dead things and calls into existence the things that did not exist. This last section of our text, verses 17 through 21, looks deeper into Abraham's circumstances. If you remember anything about Abraham, he was nearly 100 years old. He and his wife Sarah had been trying for decades, decades, to have children, to have some sort of heir and legacy. Verse 18 says, Abraham, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. What's he saying there? He's saying that Abraham believed against man's hope and instead acted in a hope that God gave him through faith. That's what we see playing out in the rest of our text. Adam, knowing that the hope of man has nothing to give to him in order to produce a child. They were out of options. They had given up, deemed Sarah barren. Man had no hope to give him uh, anything that would produce a hope beyond the grave, beyond death. Verse 19, as his body weakened and he approached the death of his physical body, what do we read? His faith didn't weaken. Much like our passage in Hebrews, verse 21, fully convinced, that word again, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now, we, what do we know about Abraham? It's, this is not Abraham praise here. If we think for a moment we should praise Abraham, we should remember his story. God promised him a son. He didn't act fast enough, so what did he do? He had another son through his servant, Hagar. And what did he do? He produced the Muslim race. That is where Ishmael went. 
the people that came from Ishmael. There are lots of things that you and I can put our hope in. Money, career, our family, a nation that we trust in. Those are just a few of the major ones. Not even including all the minor things that every day, you and I for a moment or just a day, coffee to get us up in the mornings. There's only one hope that can strengthen you like what's described here in Abraham's life through all of life's challenge. Everything that you may come up against. Only one that gets stronger as you near the end of your life. Why is that? Because the really the best parts of the promise come on the other side of death for us. There's a realization that you and I cannot know on this side of the veil, this thin veil we call life. And so as we approach death, the realization of what is awaiting us only becomes more real for us. Death brings us face to faith, face to face with our Savior, face to face with the one who brings hope and the one who guarantees our hope. There are a lot of alternatives out there. Let me ask this question. Are you fully convinced of the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that did not exist? The, thing that loved you, the, the one that loved you before time through Christ's death and resurrection purchased you and I back from death and is able to bring us to life that's what we're celebrating this morning as we come to the table. That is why we need him so badly. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning that we trust fully, not all the time, not perfectly, but through the work of Christ, through the strength that you give us, we're able to trust in the strength you provide. Father, even as we come to this table this morning, May we be reminded as we look back to your work on the cross, all that you did on our behalf. May we be strengthened by the strength, in the, the strength that you provide through this sacrament for us. For those of us who wrestle, Father, bring us to mind the things in which we trust in, the ways in which we have uh, created in our own lives a gospel plus something where we've merely entrusted you with our eternal home, but we do not entrust you with our daily life. For that, we trust in ourselves. For that, we trust in our, uh, our, our gifts, whatever they are, the things that you've blessed us with that we have laid claim of. Father, would you bring those things to mind? And as we approach this table, would we lay them down before we pick you up? And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.